Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. So glad you can join us for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. As you know, I'm Elizabeth Richard and I'm here with Sebastian Richard. And we are continuing this really amazing series on Kingdom Purpose for Man. So if you haven't listened to part one and part two, I recommend that you do so before you uh, dive into part three. So that was episode 31, episode 32. And guess what? Today we're talking about episode, obviously, 33. 33, which was, you know, the age where Christ got crucified. And we are bringing in Christ. We're bringing in the New Testament. So I don't think, like, I, that was a, a big shocker for us. Like, hey, realize this? Episode 33, and we're talking about what Christ brought back. So that was a pretty mind-blowing for us to yeah, it was realize big... that it wasn't planned it wasn't planned just so just so you know yeah so um you'll understand a little more as we dive into this um this third part so it's god's kingdom purpose for man part three and we are talking about the misunderstood gospel of jesus christ because there are a lot of different things that we hear through time and that we think we know uh, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and why Jesus Christ came and all that. So uh, I know that you're going to get a lot of information that you haven't heard before. And so I'm just going to do a little recap of last episode, episode 32. So we covered, uh, we looked at what man lost when he fell. Okay, so man fell from his dominion on the earth. Man inherited a sinful state from birth in Adam all have sinned. Uh, We also talked about death, suffering, and sickness came into the earth realm. Painful toil and sweat became our lot. We also covered all of creation fell along with man. Uh, And man, by disobeying, kicked God out and gave control to Satan. Okay, huge, huge point there. That's why you need to go back and listen to it if you haven't. Yeah, because for those of you just listening in, if you've never heard this, like, what? Man doesn't have the power to kick God out. Yes and no. And uh, that's what that was covered in the previous episodes. Exactly. And last point we had covered was God's mercy and grace became a necessity for fallen man. Um, also, we looked at God's different covenants with men to gradually reintroduce himself, his will, and his influence in the earth realm. Yeah, we did that. We looked at different uh, covenants all throughout the Old Testament. However, big mistake on my part. While I was going through the different covenants, I omitted one of those, and probably the biggest one. I forgot to talk about the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, which is probably the most important covenant in the Old Testament. So, uh, I, forgive me, I have sinned. <laughs> that was back. I couldn't believe it. Afterwards, I, I was rereading my notes and editing the podcast. I was like, wait a minute, I didn't talk about the <laughs> the Mosaic Covenant. What a silly dude I am. And uh, like, so I'm just going to quickly talk about it now. 
So, of course, uh, the covenant with Moses is where God establishes perfect laws. Every kingdom has laws, okay? They are what makes or break a kingdom. So, good laws make for a good kingdom, bad laws for a bad kingdom, and perfect laws make for a perfect kingdom. So, these laws represent the perfect will of God for this particular realm and its people. So, the laws of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, would have made for a utopian society at the time if they had been understood and applied properly. But unfortunately, they never were. They were also, so the laws were put forth for us to have to live in a, a utopian society, but they were also there to act, like Paul says, like a, to show us basically our sinfulness, to show us that we cannot attain on our own strength the perfection that God wills for us. So, as we know, the law is perfect, but people aren't. Man isn't. As a result, people were finding themselves wanting under the rule of Mosaic law. Something was amiss, and that something was brought by Jesus Christ through grace and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Very well said. So today, dear friends, we finally get to talk about the kingdom of God as we New Testament believers need to understand it. Okay, so as we'll see in this episode, in Adam, we lost dominion. In Jesus Christ, we got it back. So we saw in episode 30, uh, 31st, the 31st one uh, of the series, that the main mission of Jesus was to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of men. Exactly. So that was the main mission of Jesus. As you know, here at Thriving on Purpose, we take great pleasure in talking about purpose. We named the company Thriving on Purpose. This indicated just how much we value people and their purpose. Human beings are made in the image of God, and each individual has a specific assignment to accomplish here on earth. You, my friend, have a very specific God-given mandate here on earth for such a time as this. You see, the definition of purpose in the dictionary is this. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Absolutely. And you, dear friend, are not here by mistake. You were not created and put on this earth at this time under those circumstances by chance. Okay, so God has singled you out for a specific task that only you can accomplish at this time in history. I this love. is very, very important that you grasp that. I love that last part. You're not here by chance. You were selected and you're here in this moment in time and history to accomplish something great. Mm -hmm. And I love that last part. And it really resonated. When I heard this the first time, it really, really resonated with me. When I heard this the first time, it changed my whole life. And I had been a born again believer for 30 years when I heard this. Imagine that. I used to think that my sole purpose, once saved, was to evangelize. That's what I thought I was there, there for. That's what I thought, okay, I'm saved now, and my God-given mandate and assignment is to spread the gospel. That's what I thought. I failed to see the big picture for my life. I failed to understand my specific assignment here and now. I was under the, sorry to say, the brainwashing of religious thinking and it greatly handicapped my life. 
and it also made me very depressed and miserable. We believe, my wife and I, that the greatest tragedy in life is someone who lives his whole life and then dies without ever having known what their true purpose here on earth was. The reason we believe this to be a great tragedy is because of the crucial importance purpose holds in the hearts of people. When someone finds their purpose, they have meaning. It gives them great value and it gives meaning to their lives. People who know God and their specific purpose, you will notice this, are the ones who are the light of the world. The others live in utter darkness. Sadly, many spend, you know, 70 plus years here on earth, and in the end, when they die, all they did was exist. They didn't really live. They were not truly alive. As the saying goes, they die at 25, but are only buried at 75. And I say this even of some Christians who are ensnared in corrupt thinking and religiosity, who think their whole reason for being was to be redeemed, like I used to think, and then to evangelize. Now, dear friends, this is not the limit of God's will for you. Thank God for that. Your redemption, your redemption, listen to this, your redemption was only the beginning. Now, as I pondered these things, a question came to my mind. Since all humans have a very specific purpose for being born, what was the specific purpose of Jesus? And I know what we've been taught. We've been taught that Jesus was born to die, right? He was born to go to the cross. But there's so much more to it than that. We know that God sent his son, as the Bible says, in the fullness of time, okay, as we saw last episode. So the timing of his coming was perfectly aligned with the will of the Father, mankind's place in history, and everything that was set in place at that time. So we've examined what your purpose is here on earth. I mean, not in the specifics, but in the general. So what was the purpose of Jesus? There's a big question. Unlike many of us, Jesus knew his purpose from the very beginning. He wasn't confused like I was, or maybe like some of you are out there. Remember, when Mary and Joseph lost him in Jerusalem, he was only 12, okay? And in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 46 to 50, we read this account. And here's, here's something interesting where uh, it says, After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. The purpose of Jesus was defined even then when he was 12. But it was even more defined by Jesus himself when he had come of age at 30 and he began his ministry. Okay? 
And I find it interesting, I'm just going to make a short parenthesis here, that he began his ministry at age 30. There's no uh, nothing left to chance in the ministry of Jesus, in the life of Jesus. So his ministry began at age 30, and the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest. And according to the Old Testament, priests were to begin serving in a temple when they reached the ripe old age of 30 years old. Isn't that interesting? That's in 1 Chronicles 23, uh, 2-5, Numbers 4, 1-3, uh, and, and repeated again in Numbers uh, 4, uh, verses 21-23, and 29-30. So that is why Jesus began his ministry at 30 and not before. It was just like the rest of his life to fulfill Scripture. There's nothing that he did that went against Scripture. It's pretty amazing. And then we, we hear, of course, we know that uh, we mentioned in the beginning of this episode that he died at 33, right? And that also has a specific meaning. Jesus was not to spend one extra day on earth that he had to, to fulfill his mission. And here's what I'm going to explain here just shortly. It has been observed by scientists, okay? This is scientific fact that a human being reaches full maturity at 33. In other words, we keep growing and maturing until we reach the age of 33. I'm talking about men here. I don't know if it's the same for women. Until we reach the age of 33, after which, slowly, ever so subtly, we start aging on the other side, like kind of downwards. We reach our peak, (laughs) we reach the peak of our physical maturity at 33 years of age, and after which our cells slowly begin to degenerate, and we head towards, basically towards death, right? We start slowly uh, getting older and aging and getting past that pinnacle of maturity. Isn't that interesting, right? So, that was just a parenthesis like that. I thought you'd find that interesting. He began at 30, and he, he died at 33. So, Jesus began his ministry by first being baptized by John, John the Baptist, confirmed by God in public. So, remember that the dove came on him, and then the, the words of the Father echoed, and he said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit uh, when he descended on him like a dove. Then he went off to the desert. He was tempted by Satan, and he won that battle. So right from the get-go, Jesus Christ succeeded where Adam had failed. This was a major turning point that established Jesus Christ. Okay, And then he began his work. So right from the get-go, he succeeded where Adam failed. He was tempted, and he didn't give in. Okay, He remained strong. So he began his work, and like any great endeavor, he began his work by first stating his mission statement. Now, you guys are entrepreneurs. You all probably have heard of what a mission statement is, okay? And a mission statement is defined as a formal summary of the aims and values of a company, organization, or individual. So what was the formal summary of the aims and values of Jesus? The first official words preached by Jesus in public, as recorded in Matthew 4.17, are this. 
From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So from that time on, other versions say from then on. So this means from this moment and habitually after that. Okay, so he started then, but he kept it going. So from there, Jesus' message was all about the kingdom. That's his central teaching. All throughout the Gospels, the kingdom was the main message of Jesus. If you're anything familiar with the Gospel, you will remember reading stuff like, The kingdom of God is like. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is. The Gospels are literally saturated with kingdom talk from Jesus Christ. Okay? So this is very, very important. And, and, and it's interesting because every time he talks about the kingdom, he, he compares it to something that is of great value. Kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden yeah. in a field, like a pearl of great price. Mm -hmm. um, he also compares it to sowing. Uh, the parable of the sower, also he mentions that. There is the seed, the mustard seed. He mentions a mustard seed. So all these things are very fascinating. But Jesus made it his aim to always try to make people understand what the kingdom of God was because that was the thing that consumed him. It was the kingdom of God. Yeah, and just to, to point out how many times it appears in the, King, in the King James Version of the Bible, the kingdom of God appears five times in Matthew. The kingdom of God appears 15 times in Mark. The kingdom of God appears 31 times in Luke. Wow. The kingdom of God appears two times in John. And the kingdom of God appears seven times in Acts. And lastly, the kingdom of God appears eight times in the rest of the New Testament. So that's a lot. <laughs> so what about the term, the similar term, the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven appears 31 times, Whoa. mainly in Matthew. 31 And times. there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Yeah, well, you see, some say there's a difference. Uh, and I, I believe there, there probably is. I, I believe the kingdom of heaven is more of a place. The kingdom of God is more of, how can I put this? Well, Jesus said it was within us. And it, it's a process. It's a way of being. It's, it's a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating how many times it appears in the New Testament, that term, kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Which so, is very confused in the Bible to most Christians. They think we're talking about the same thing. They always think that it's, we're, it's heaven. heaven. We're talking heaven, about heaven, 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 exactly. So that's very important that you understand that the kingdom of God is within you. It's something that is hidden as a treasure that he's placed inside of you. Amen to that. And you're right, because I, and I, I, <laughs> I used to believe that myself, that, oh, whenever I would read the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, I would think, someday when I die and I'm in heaven. That's what I thought Jesus was talking about. And it could, it could get confusing because so much of it doesn't have to do with when we die and we're in, in heaven. So it's evident from all these stats that you just mentioned, Liz, that his main teaching and mission was to proclaim this quote-unquote good news of the kingdom. Exactly, and we're going to understand a little more into depth as we go through this series. In fact, he said it himself in Luke 4, uh, 42 to 44, 
At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Mm. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Wow. Because that is why I was sent. In the New American Standard Version, it reads like this. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Now, we're talking about the purpose of Jesus. Well, there you go. The purpose of Jesus, according to him, was to preach the kingdom of God. So Jesus said himself that he was sent for that, to preach the kingdom of God. That was his purpose. Yes, and also at the beginning of his ministry, we read in Mark 1, chapter 1, 14 to 15, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Keep this in mind. The good news is the translation of the word gospel. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's super important to note that Jesus came to preach good news. Good news. And it's that's what we call the gospel. And uh, there's been so much misunderstanding. That's why we're covering this subject today. So much misunderstanding as to what exactly was the gospel, right? And I think the problem is we've been preaching it in parts. So the gospel according to Jesus, what exactly was it? Well, the gospel, like we just said, means good news. And the gospel that Jesus was teaching seemed much more closely linked to the kingdom of God than to his sacrificial death which is where the buck stops for most evangelicals. In fact, when reading the Gospels, the good news is clearly that the kingdom of God has come near. That's the good news. It was then, and it still is the good news today. But before we look into more of what the good news means, let's correct a few things first, okay? You see, in religion, we were mostly taught parts of, of the good news or some good news but not the good news of the kingdom we were mostly taught that the good news was about God forgiving our sins once we believe in Jesus in fact we were taught that this is the good news forgiveness of sins through Jesus and going to heaven when we die okay this is indeed good news so I don't want you to get me wrong here that is good news of course but it is not the good news. So what did Jesus really teach? Jesus simply taught this. The kingdom of God has come to earth. Let all who will repent and enter in. Let me repeat that. This is what Jesus taught, like the crux of it. The kingdom of God has come to earth. Let all who will repent and enter in the kingdom of god coming back to earth is the good news jesus came to restore that which was lost in adam satan is very clever he has kept us sidetracked with many good things he even made us teach these good things as the gospel itself 
as the good news itself. And what are these good things that Satan has kept our focus on? Well, very good things, by the way. The cross and the atonement. Evangelism through the Great Commission. Being born again. Going to heaven when we die. These are all very, very good things. And they are all part of our evangelical message. So they're, they're all good things. In fact, keeping us busy with good things is one of the devil's most effective strategies. But the one thing he wanted to make sure we wouldn't preach is the restoration of God's kingdom on the earth, also known as the good news of the kingdom of God in the hearts of man and the power that comes with that. The devil will get you talking about heaven until you are out of breath. He won't even blink about that, okay? But what he really doesn't want you talking about is the kingdom of God right now. He doesn't want men to know of their authority and power here and now on the earth. Let's Let's look at the Great Commission sayings of Jesus, okay? We're all familiar with the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Liz, would you read that for us? Yeah. And therefore go and make dis disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, that was the main passage while I was, um, how can I put this? Well, I, back, when, back in the day when I was seeped in religion and I thought my purpose was that. I was like, that's my purpose. I've been saved. Now I have to, you know, spread the message of the cross and the atonement to everybody I meet. So I would talk to Jesus, I would talk about the, the cross, he died for your sins, you know, all that. And I thought that when I was doing that, I was fulfilling my purpose, okay? Uh, just just as a parenthesis, I just wanted you and guys to know. And we're not saying it. it's not good to... Oh, no, 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 we're not. We're saying But it's, it's a part of... It's a part it's of It's a it. part of the message, and it's not the whole message. And that's what I really want to emphasize here. But let's look at the other Great Commission passages, because, hey, believe it or not, there are other... Passages, those are called synoptic gospels, so they are uh, basically um, similar or kind of uh, synoptic means uh, this, similar, the same. Uh, so let's look at the other Great Commission passages that we find in the gospels. So in Mark 16, 15, it says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel, as we know means the good news, to all creation. And in Matthew's 24, uh, 14, it also says, And this gospel, so we're talking about the good news, of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Wow. Now that one is really fascinating. So Jesus is saying, And this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So as a side note, it seems to me a very scary prospect that since the church isn't 
busy preaching the good news of the kingdom, because we're not preaching the good news of, of, of kingdom of God, we're preaching the good news of salvation, we might this way be postponing his second coming. Think about that. Now, that, that's a very powerful thought here. Okay? Satan, by sidetracking us in preaching the good news of the salvation through the cross and the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection, is keeping us from preaching the whole message of the good news of the kingdom and thus might actually be postponing the second coming. Whoa. And Satan relishes in this because as long as we don't preach the gospel of the kingdom, the whole message of it, to the whole world, guess what it does for him? It buys him more time. Exactly. Because what you need to understand here is that when, when we're talking about the good news, we're talking about him coming on this earth, dying, um, you know, resurrecting, so that he is able to uh, reestablish, um, how should I say, this communion that we were longing to have with God that was broken since God and, and since what happened in uh, the garden with Adam and Eve, okay? So man lost his authority, and by, if you understand correctly, the good news we're talking about is that he's going to regain man is going to regain his authority and have dominion on earth. So why does Satan hate that? Well, very simple. If you understand that you have authority on earth and that God established, reestablishes this. You and can take back territory from the enemy. Exactly. Boom. Exactly. And you're and hates gonna, that. You're going to pray a certain way. You're going to understand scripture differently because now you understand what the true kingdom uh, of God means and that... You know, basically everything in the New Testament we're supposed to be applying to our lives today. There is nothing more scary to Satan than a believer who knows his authority. Exactly. And who walks in authority and who talks and speaks in authority. That is the greatest detriment to the kingdom of darkness ever. Exactly. Because that type of believer is the believer who takes back territory gradually for the kingdom of God. Exactly. We explained in the last episode that uh, when God came back through Abraham and through all the covenants in the earth realm, he was establishing a beachhead in the territory to slowly come back and take the territory back. Well, when Jesus came and gave us full authority, as we will see later, that empowered believers to really take back territory. And, and, and those who've done so in history are those who were walking in the full knowledge of their authority. They're the ones who had the biggest impact for Christ. Exactly. And see, and for when I learned, when I heard this and it really sunk in my head, I realized that I was living a big part of my life as a Christian, always, you know, pleading with God, kind of praying and sobbing and, and you know, asking if 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 you would please this if you would please that and you know we we just feel like little ants that have no power and the devil's just this roaring lion that just wants to squish us and that you know god is like you know will you have mercy and and please you know yeah like please intervene and save me you know and yet and, jesus said he would give us all the power to to 
trample on the exactly. power of the and enemy. Then, and the then you read those and verses. And all that. Exactly. And you read those verses and you don't, and in a, you, you hear it and it, it makes you feel good. But at the same time, when you're in that mindset, you think, okay, well, there's no way that I can do any of that well, because mm-hmm. the devil is so much bigger than me and he's so much more powerful than me and you feel like there's no way that, you know, I can fight him. And yes, we know that when we pray, we have God's power. But when you understand that God gave you authority, then you're, you, you ha- there's a part that you have to play in this. And this is what's important for you to understand. God gave you authority because he wants you to use that authority for good. Amen. And he's going to back you and he's going to give you strength and he's going to open doors. But he wants you to do the first step. Yeah. So that's why the devil hates that. And that's why the devil doesn't want this message to get out. Oh, no, he doesn't. Because then all of a sudden ki- Christians go from, you know, feeling defeated to oh okay i get it now god really is on my side i can accomplish things i can do all things and it's funny that you say this because you say most christians feel defeated and it's so true and yet we won't admit it and we're in church speaking i have the victory and stuff like that and meanwhile where where our lives are falling apart and they're going back to their jobs. We're, we're going back like to our jobs that we hate. We're broke. Uh, we're miserable. Uh, we don't even know what to do when we're sick. And and all this power and authority that is speaking of in the New Testament, we read it, we say we believe it, but we don't really believe it. Because if we did, there'd be different fruit in our life. Exactly. So all this to say, by Jesus Christ coming back, he's giving you a second chance, basically, to make things right so that you can trample on the devil because before his coming it wasn't possible in the same way so he's reestablishing so much more so that you can get out of the devil's um everything that he's inflicting on you whether it be sickness whether it be you know dominating you in certain you know maybe it's through your job maybe it's through through different things in your life that are making you uh heavy and ill and depressed and and your mindset's all wrong and you know all that all of that can be conquered through Christ but knowing how to pray with authority that's what the you know the big elements that change in the present of every today's everyday life yeah the, the authority of the believer if you can find any books out there anything that talks about that from a real biblical perspective uh, it's really gonna bless you because this is something that Christ came to give us back Okay, when he, when he says, I, I've given you uh, the keys and everything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and everything you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's authority, but like mighty authority. Anyway, I don't want us to go too far in the rabbit trail here. Let's, let's come back to this. Um, so the late Dr. Miles Monroe, I'm going to quote him this powerful, powerful thing. I want to quote from him here. It's found in his excellent book, rediscovering the kingdom if ever you want to read a book that centers on the kingdom of god okay you should get that book by miles monroe rediscovering the kingdom here's what he had to say in that book we have gotten so sidetracked on secondary and peripheral issues it seems that the message of the kingdom has all but disappeared there is no doubt that Jesus Christ died on the cross that we might be forgiven of our sins and find eternal life in Him. There is also no doubt that we need to tell people that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that He is the only way 
to eternal life. All of this is part of the message of the kingdom. But it is not all of the message. The cross of Christ is the beginning point of life in the kingdom of God and not the ending point. There is no ending point because life in a kingdom has no end. And then he added this, Miles Monroe, he said, Our problem is that we spend so much time telling people how to get into the kingdom that we rarely teach them what to do once they get inside. Often we don't know ourselves because no one has ever taught us either. We spend so much time preaching about the door, and of course, you know, Jesus, the cross and repentance, Jesus is the door, he, told, he said it himself in the Gospels, that we forget all about the palace inside. Now, this is important. We spend so much time preaching about the door that we forget all about the palace inside. Now, that's kingdom. See, when you understand kingdom, your focus shifts from the door, which is essential to come in, to the palace inside. See, the door is Jesus Christ. That's your salvation. That's when you came in through the door. But then, then what? Then you're in the palace inside. What do you do once you're in the palace? Okay. So this is the good news, right? So what makes the kingdom of God such good, good news? Well, we're going to look into this now. So Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom during his ministry and even, even after his resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the cross, the blood. No, it says in Acts 1.3, for 40 days he appeared to them and spoke about the kingdom of God. So even after he rose again, the kingdom message was his priority. Now let's consider what Jesus' kingdom message entailed so that we may understand just how much of a good news it actually is. Absolutely. So the first component of the good news of the kingdom is man has been brought back into a full communion and relationship with God through salvation. Exactly. Well, we, we know that part. I mean, we've been raised in that part. Uh, all churches preach that part. What used to be something temporary done through the sacrifices of the old Mosaic Covenant is now a permanent fixture and privilege in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we are fully reconciled to God. That, that is no small thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, we read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that is what is Amen. what is the door to the palace, what Miles Monroe referred to as the door. So since Jesus came, nothing separates us from God except our own sin, of course, and our stubbornness when we dare not come to him humbly to ask for forgiveness. So the only thing left is your own sin, and that has been dealt with at the cross. And if you will humbly repent and come to him and ask for forgiveness, you will enter through that door. Okay, so that's Amen. the first component of the good news of the kingdom. It's super important. That's how you get in the kingdom. That's how you gain access. So it's super important. But we have made this the gospel. Haven't you ever wondered, for me personally, I've always been, you know, really blessed and happy that I was raised in a Christian family. I was taught salvation very early. I accepted Christ when I was seven. And, uh, you know, it was a big part of my life. But at the same time, I always kind of wondered, like, you know, is it really our purpose to just be talking about, you know, salvation and how to get into heaven? Like, is that... 80 years of time that we're on this earth is that the only thing that we're supposed to be doing because i used to do it all the time when i used to be in school when i was uh, anywhere i'd always my faith was always a big part of me so it always came out in conversations and i always talked about it to to people i wasn't shy about my faith everybody that knew me knew i was a christian and so for me there there always had a, a little message in my heart saying there's got to be more there is more. like there has to be more for 80 years of your life to amen. be on this earth amen if you're you know not meant to i don't know be an evangelist or a missionary or something that you know has a calling on your life to go and preach the gospel like you know what about the other people that don't really feel this calling what are they supposed to do are they just supposed to talk about jesus at their workplace and that's it like you know to me it just there had to be more, you know. So the second component of the good news of the kingdom is it restored man to his rightful place of authority and dominion. Now that is also very big and it's so neglected in our teaching of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. Through Christ, God wanted to restore that which was lost in Adam. I've said that time and again because it's so important to understand. We learn that man lost his dominion on the earth when he fell. Well, Jesus brought it back. Just before he gave his great commission in Matthew 28, 18, just, just the verse before, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Like this is Jesus saying, look, all authority has been given to me. And you guys are under me. You guys are following me you guys should understand that you need to go therefore and then he gives the great commission and in matthew chapter 16 verse 19 we read i will give you he's actually talking to uh, uh the, the the apostles especially to peter after his confession and all that that he said you are the christ the son of the living god he said i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, that is incredible authority. And yet, and yet, I feel compelled to stop here because 
as someone who, was, who used to be religious, I would read that. And I just didn't get it. I basically, I didn't read the, the, the earth part. You know, I was like, I didn't understand the, the level of authority I had here and now on earth. And yet it's right there in black and white. So we see that man was given back authority on earth. Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you loose on earth, Jesus gave us back the keys. And again, in, in Luke chapter 11, verses 17 to 22, Jesus said, answering those who accused him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. <laughs> That's amazing, right? I mean, he was casting out demons and they had the nerve to say that he was doing that by the power of a devil. Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? In other words, like he says, okay, if I do this, well, your followers, how do they do it? So then... They will be your judges, but, now very, pay attention, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Now, this is gold. I mean, we don't fully understand and we need to fully understand what Christ has done when he came. He plundered the, the, the possessions of the devil. And we were under his jurisdiction back then. So when Christ came, I'm going to give you an illustration, okay? Jesus is that someone stronger. When he says, if someone stronger attacks and overpowers him. So Jesus is that someone stronger who attacked the strong man of the house. Okay, that's Satan. So he attacked him and he bound him. To take his possessions away, which are the sons of man who were living under his jurisdiction since the fall. And after all this, he gave us Pretty much, he gave us back the house, which is the earth realm, okay? Which is the um, what he calls the plunder, <laughs> divides up his plunder, which is all the good things that were kept from us by the evil one. And finally, everything has been restored unto us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22-23. We read, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's one, one pastor I heard, he put it this way, and that's very interesting a take on that verse. He said, everything is under his feet. And guess what? This is the feet of Jesus. Everything has been put under his feet. And what does the New Testament say the church is? The church is said to be the body of Christ. And the feet are part of his body. His body. Therefore, therefore, everything has been put under his feet, meaning everything has been put under the authority and power 
of the church, of the individual believers who compose the body of the church. Isn't that amazing? That is very, very powerful. And I, I love the part where Jesus says, look, if, if I drive, drive out demons by the finger of God, by the finger of, he didn't say by the arm of God or by the, yeah. by the fist of God, finger. That, it, it, basically, it doesn't even take any strength. It's just like <laughs> one little push, little foop. I drive out demons by the finger of God. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That is powerful. That is very powerful. Wow. And so the third component of the good news of the kingdom is he has given us true power. Exactly. True power. I remember when I was a kid, about seven or eight years old, I really liked He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. He-Man was all power. I mean, just the figurines, I remember, like, were so bulky and muscular. Like, they made Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a, a little dweeb. <laughs> and, you were watching that and I was watching Shira. <laughs> <laughs> and the point I'm trying to make is this. As human beings, we want power. And I remember when the, the beginning of the episode started, every E-Man episode started, he said, I held aloft my magic sword and lifted it up and said, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. And that's what we wanted as kids. We, we, we imagined we, we were He-Man and we'd just take off our sword and become that super uber hunk that can smash through mountains. And that kind of made us feel empowered. And that's because there's something within us that feels like we've lost something. We feel like, I, I want that power. I, I need, you know, we, we, we seek after power. And, and unfortunately, there's evil men in the earth realm that seek after power and they use it very abusively. But, friends, the good news is this, and, and it's part of the, like Liz said, another component of the good news is that we are not powerless anymore. We have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And you know, that's a that's another good point you make, like with the He-Man thing. Not that I recommend that show, show or, or <laughs> I know either. What we shouldn't have been watching yeah, that some, as kids There's anyway. some devilish looking characters in there. But, but yeah, but you know, even today, like men and women are attracted to superheroes. The Wonder Woman movie, uh, Superman, all those uh, superhero movies uh, are a big attraction because, you know, even like the, the one that just came out with Aquaman, it's all about man feeling like he has some bit of power because yeah. most men go out and do their their jobs and do what they've got to do and they feel powerless. Yeah. They feel like everybody's above them and they're just, you know, doing the motion and following, you know, following what they should do like little ants. Yeah, and shameless plug, if you guys want to read more about that empowerment through superheroes, you can just purchase my book, uh, The Legacy Superhero. <laughs> you would probably enjoy it very, very much because I take the templates of superheroes and teach leadership through them, yeah. um, just as a parenthesis here. But it is such a tragedy that the church today does not claim the full power given to us through whom Francis Chan has called. Francis Chan is a Christian author, and he wrote a book, about the Holy Spirit, and he called it the Forgotten God. And when I read that title, I, I, don't, I didn't even purchase the book, uh, by the way. Uh, I should. I'd like to. 
But when I read that title, I was like, now that is a good way to put it. That is the Holy Spirit. It's He's the forgotten God. I mean, we, we go like, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. We don't really talk about the Holy Ghost. And yet, that's the God that stayed behind. That's the God that stayed behind in us. Mm-hmm. The Father is in heaven. The Son is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come back someday, glory to God. But right now, the God that is on earth is in you, working through you, working through the church. The forgotten God, the Holy Ghost. The failure of today's believer to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit is what makes the church appear like just any other religion. Ritualistic, dogmatic, and yes, I will dare say this, powerless and therefore, in the eyes of many, unappealing. So many people are not enthralled when you're at work and you tell them about Jesus and the cross and come to church on Sunday with me. And I'm sorry, I know you're, we do this with the best of intentions, but people are not blind. They see it is powerless. Most churches, anyway. Most churches are not demonstrating the power of God and are not preaching the power of God and are not teaching people their authority and what God has given them back, that power, okay? So that makes, unfortunately, that makes religion, the Christian religion, oftentimes very unappealing. Remember, when prompted by the religious leaders... Jesus said this about the kingdom of God in Luke 17, 21. In Luke 17, 21, he said this. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. And the kingdom within is activated through the power of the Holy Spirit. Once you're saved and once you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that kingdom that is within you is activated. John the Baptist foretold in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, of how we would inherit the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. John said this, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let me ask you this. Is there a fire within you? Is there that power within you? It is. Of course, if you're saved and if you you went through the door, the power is there. But do you realize what's within you? Do you realize that he who is within you is mightier than he was in the world, stronger than he was in the world? You know, we read that. That's a verse we love and we all love that verse. But we don't live it. We don't live it. Someone once said, Christianity is the greatest religion in the world. But it's such a shame that it's never been lived out. Hmm. It's it's powerful stuff. And when you understand this, and when you understand that you have power through the Holy Spirit, then you realize that the devil has no power over you. This This is really key. Because if you don't get that, then you'll always live in fear. 
you always have a spirit of fear and that blocks you from blessings and from you know everything else that the Lord wants to give you so once when you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit inside of you that's the kingdom the fire inside that's of the you the ignition of that fire exactly then you understand that the devil has no hold on you demons don't have any hold on you you know they can they can try all they want to to you know bug you and whatnot but they won't succeed because you have that power because he gave it back to you and later the the, the we, we spoke of john how he said look the one who's coming after me will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire this was fulfilled in acts chapter 1 verses 4 to 8 yeah and i'm going to read it it says and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you shall receive what? Power. Power. You shall receive power. Through the Holy Spirit. And by power, here's what Jesus meant. Okay? I'm going to read to you some great verses here about that power. Okay? Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And in Matthew chapter 17, 20, we read, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as, a, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And here's the last key part. This is a, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about that particular passage in, in my old denomination. Anyway, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. And Liz, would you read John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14? Yes. So very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You may ask me for what? anything oh uh, see again that's another passage that what i was taught back in religion was like well anything and they would put an asterisk there and and a, a little note and say what this means anything that is according to god's will and not not just any it's, jesus didn't he didn't say that. and he's talking about he after anything 
after he goes back and he and he goes to join his father. Yeah. He says, I'm going to the father. So he's talking about what's going to happen after he leaves. And Jesus said it and was a good thing that he left. He says, it's a good thing that I'm leaving when they said, stay with us, stay with mm-hmm. us. And he said, no, I'm going to ascend to my father. And trust me, it's a good thing that I leave because then you will receive power from on high. On high. Yeah, and there's no verse in the Bible at all that says that all this has ended on a certain date. No. So for any of you that are in a church... Well, I, I was going to get to that, yeah. Yeah, and... Okay, you were. I didn't yeah. Know. But I'm just saying, I've been to many different denominations and churches, and, and I've heard that many times. I've even been taught that in a Bible college at one point, that, you know, all this was present in the time of the apostles, and then after that, it all, you know, basically... Ended. Ended, and... We don't live like that anymore, yeah. which is completely false. Completely false. And and very dangerous, too, to the body of Christ. Exactly. And to the mission of the church. It's, it's, it's crazy. It actually does a service to the devil. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why most of you do not experience these things. It's because of the very destructive doctrine, and that's what Liz was talking about, taught by many evangelical teachers, which is called cessationism. Okay? Cessation, which means it ceased. In Christianity, cessationism is the doctrine that spiritual gifts, such such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, and many, many miracles, ceased with the apostolic age. So it's after the apostles died, it was just to authenticate the early church, and after they died, it died with them. And yet, if you really take the time to go read uh, books written by uh, those who are more charismatic in nature, those who believe that this didn't cease, you notice, hey, guess what? It didn't cease. It kept going. So it's just a lie of the devil when they say that it has We see ceased. miracles. There's in, you know, there's so many miracles happening. Um, people praying for healing. You just, it, you could just even look, you know, healed by God uh, on YouTube videos. Yeah. And you're going to find so many testimonies, so many stories. We we're actually looking at some recently for fun, like, just to show the kids, you know, that there are healings. And we, we pulled out different stories of Christian families where they prayed for a certain child that had uh, cancer, or that had this and had that, and the Lord healed them. And it's really, really powerful. So it has not ceased. Yeah, and I, and I, I, read, I have a book here by uh, Peter Wagner about uh, spiritual gifts. And in his book, he was mentioning, he was explaining that spiritual gifts will be given to different denominations, different gifts will be given, but never gifts that do not fit the declaration of faith or um, the beliefs of that particular denomination. So I thought that was so interesting how God operates. So remember Jesus said, uh, it shall be done to you according to your faith, right? So it works for the body too. It works as a as a as a body of believers. So if you're in a particular denomination that believes that all these things have ceased, and well, guess what? You're there not gonna, gonna you're be. not gonna see them. You're yeah. not gonna see hear tongues. You're not gonna see healings. You're, you're gonna see very few miracles. Uh, you you're not gonna see that. It's just not gonna show up. Why? Because of your lack of faith. And the opposite is also true. If you're part, uh, if you yourself believe these things, and, and if you're part of a denomination that believes these things, guess what? you're going to see them. They will show up. They will amaze you. They will bless you. Uh, so it will be done according to your faith. Matthew 9, 29. If you don't believe the word of God concerning what you were given through the Holy Spirit, you will simply not experience it. 
Exactly. And that brings us to the fourth component of the good news of the kingdom. And that is, it has given us access to God's infinite riches, both spiritual and physical. Yeah, and I wanted to add that last part, both spiritual and physical, because when we talk about the riches of God in Christ, uh, you know, there, there's such a bias against what is called in Christianity and Christian circles, uh, the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Oh, it's, it's so, this is so bad, right? God wants you to be poor. The poorer you, you are, the humbler you are. And the humbler you are, the more like Christ you are. That's what we're taught in many, many denominations. And that is just a travesty. It, is, it, it needs to stop. It is so ungodly. It's, it's not even funny. Um, there's nothing wrong with you being blessed financially. In fact, uh, the more the better. Okay, the more the better. And I, I know you're all thinking about the verse, the, lo the love of money is the root of all evil, but you have to remember it's the love of money. The so love to of lust money. over money, yeah. to be obsessed with it, to find it more important than serving God. That's, yeah. you know, there's, there's a degree there. There's also a lot that we can do with prosperity to advance God's kingdom and to help Christians. Yeah, Job. Abraham, exactly. Uh, even Lot, David, Solomon, and, and so many others, uh, Jacob, they were all wealthy. They were all wealthy. That, was, that came from God's blessing. Okay? Anyway, so yeah, the fourth component, God is giving you, you, you have received access to God's infinite riches. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, in Matthew eleven four, 4, Jesus said he was anointed to preach the good news, the good news to the poor, to the poor. Why? Because guess what? It opens up something. It opens up a channel through which they won't be poor anymore. They won't be poor. It doesn't mean they're going to be Oprah Winfrey wealthy, but it just means that, you know, in the, in the Bible, uh, we, we read uh, that, that God does, doesn't will you to be, there shouldn't be any poor among you. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 15, it says, there shouldn't be any poor among you. Why? Because you're God's people. And it is not a blessing to be poor. It's a curse. Poverty is a curse. Okay? Don't ever forget that. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor. Why? For yours is the kingdom of God. Hey, it's yours for the taking. So, the good news of the kingdom was first preached to the poor. Why is that? Because it is actually great news for the poor. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us, uh, that how we obtain our necessities would now be changed. That's something we did, they'd never heard before. That, that's something that was never preached to them before when in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, we read this, Jesus saying, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Exactly. So, you know, when he says here, you know, all the Gentiles seek these things. Yeah. As if it's not a great thing to be wondering. You don't want you know, to be like that. What, exactly. What you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. And we all you know, fall into this trap. So it's the old system. It's the old earth curse system under Adam. 
Exactly. And now we're under the new Adam. Jesus Christ is called the new Adam. Okay, in the New Testament. And the new Adam, all these things have been transformed, abolished. Exactly. And learning about God's kingdom, seeking his kingdom, finding out how it works, learning about God and the Holy Spirit and all that, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So there's blessings attached to that, Amen. to seeking. So it's important for you guys to pray and ask God to show you the things that you're not seeing in your life. Yeah. If there's things that are lacking, maybe you're you're needing money, maybe you know your business has not been blessed. There's all kinds of things you know that don't go super well in our lives sometimes. So this is all part of it, seeking the kingdom, and it all these things shall be added on you. Seeking the kingdom first, making that a priority. a priority in your life, making the kingdom of God your main focus, just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus was preaching. That was his main focus. We saw it at the beginning of this teaching. That's what he was into. He was about preaching the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. That was his obsession. And if it was that for him, guess what? It should be a good idea if it was that for you as well. Okay? And, and there's another verse that in Philippians chapter 4, 19, we, we read that verse. We hear it all the time. But 90% of believers don't experience it. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Not just, not just shall supply all you need. No, no, no. According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So that's another thing. It doesn't say he shall supply some of your needs. It no, says all your needs. All your needs. So that goes, that goes with Matthew 6, uh, 33. So as kingdom citizens, we now have access to kingdom riches, blessings, and an, in, an incredible inheritance of our God and Father, the King of heaven and earth. So the same God who told the Israelites, like I said earlier in Deuteronomy 15, that there should be no poor among you, okay? That's the same God who in the New Testament says, is said to, through his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So does 2 Peter 1.3 say that his divine power has granted to us some things? No, all things that pertain to what? To what? Life. Does it say spiritual life? No, life, period. I think godliness. Which, which means your spirit, your soul, and your body. Life, life, okay? And godliness. So, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And again, that's another verse that was taught to me. It's like, that's in the spiritual realm. We've been given to, given all spiritual riches. It's only spiritual it's like don't kid you basically they're telling you don't kid yourself it's it's not it's not you're supposed to be poor and there was i always felt my whole life there was something missing and there was because of my lack of faith because of my perverted thinking so all things all we have to do is ask seek and knock like the the, the gospel says remember jesus said in john chapter 16 verses 23 to 24 that's another extremely powerful passage very truly i tell you my Father will give you some of the things you ask in my name. No, wait, that's not what it says. It says, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Whatever. If I told my child, I will give you whatever you ask. Whatever. That, mean, that can mean a lollipop. That can mean a, a, a video game. That can mean things that are not quote-unquote, spiritual. It can mean 
candy. What I'm trying to say is this, okay? I'm not, and I'm not saying that the, the godly or spiritual person will necessarily ask for these things. But I'm just saying that the love of the Father is such that even those things that are like the icing on the cake, you can ask. And the Father, who is more loving than any of us as parents, will give it to us. And, and then the, ver the passage continues in verse 24. It says, Until now, Jesus says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So Jesus wants you, wants us to live in complete joy. So again, that's another passage that we don't, we don't hear too much about that. Because why? Because we misunderstand it. Because we feel uneasy talking about that because if it's true that it's supposed to be and I don't have it well maybe there's something I'm misunderstanding and if there's something I'm misunderstanding maybe I shouldn't teach it so most pastors try to avoid that or they over spiritualize it by saying all things anything that pertains to spiritual blessing like wisdom like uh, you know more godliness or whatever anything that's spiritual no, that's not what Jesus said here. Let's not twist his words, okay? Let's not twist the scriptures lest we be like Satan. So God, whose riches are without end, will not withhold anything for those who are his children if we ask in faith. Exactly. So when you said that Christ restored the kingdom back to us and it changed everything, you meant it. Yeah, I really did. <laughs> I meant, I really meant it changed. When Christ came, it changed everything. So now for most of you, there is only one thing standing in the way of all that the Father has in store for you. And that's yourself. Amen. All of the deliverance and providence that God has reestablished is available to those who believe. The problem is most do not believe. Some will say they believe, but in reality, there's always that doubt. Yeah, we call That's... ourselves believers, but what do we believe? Exactly. If there's faith, if you have faith, but there's doubt, it doesn't really work that way. So we call ourselves believers, but what do we really believe? Those are questions that you need to ask yourself. Do we believe the promises of God? Do we believe the word of God? As it is written, not as it is taught. So remember, when we say do we believe the word of God, do we believe it as it is written? Hmm. Most of us believe it as it is taught in our denomination. Right, and there's a big difference. Huge. And most of all, do we believe that God is good? Ooh. Now, we're going to talk about this in the next episode. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about We're going to dive deep into that because we, you know, we, um, things that God has shown us and that's why we feel it's really important for you guys to get the same message because it's blessed our lives, it's helped us in our walk with, with God and we know it's going to do the same for you. So, so th yeah, this is going to be the, the subject of our next episode as we explore the biggest obstacles to our living the abundant life of the kingdom. And the biggest obstacles, like Elizabeth mentioned, the biggest one of all is ourself, <laughs> okay? But also our corrupt thinking, our lack of faith, and our twisted beliefs. Mm -hmm. Which is not our fault, but it's kind of indoctrinated in, into us. 
um, through religion. Religion, religion. And, yeah. and, and there, that's passage where Jesus is actually uh, giving woes to the Pharisees. Mm. He says, you, um, how did he put it? He says, you are not going in the kingdom of heaven and you don't want other people to come in and to get in as well. So not only are you not getting in, but you're preventing others who would want to get in mm -hmm. from getting in. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something that's still going on to this day. We yeah. are still being taught many pharisaical doctrines. And, you know, the doctrines of devils, uh, they're not what we necessarily think they are. You know, many, many people used to think, ah, oh, this is a doctrine of devil. That's the doc so whenever it was a doctrine about abundance or prosperity, I was told that that was a doctrine of devils. But you know what? As I'm growing in my faith and growing in my, in my walk with God, I'm realizing that the doctrines of devils were the doctrines that taught us that what God said in His Word wasn't true. And what God said in His Word is that He wants to bless us. And He wants our prosperity, not our, our, our misery. And that God is good. Exactly. So don't limit God into blessing you. Amen. It's very important. So we hope you were blessed by this episode. Um, I hope that it... Uh, it really touched you and that you're going to apply these things and you'll go back and listen and take some notes. Um, I know there's a lot of information and, you know, even for us when we uh, were studying this material, oftentimes we had to stop and ponder and think about what we were Absolutely. Uh, listening to and what we were understanding because there's a lot of debunking. There's a lot of, you know, things that we thought were a certain way because we were taught a certain way. So uh, we hope that this blessed you and that you're going to share it with your friends. You can also go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com. It's going to lead you to our podcast page. And uh, in this uh, episode 33, at in the show notes section, we always leave some resources. You'll have Bible verses, uh, memorable quotes. If you want to continue taking notes, um, go back to that section uh, on any of our episodes, we always add resources and show, show notes. notes. Yeah. And you can also sign up uh, on that page for our um, podcast episodes so that the latest episode is uh, sent to you straight to your inbox. So be blessed. And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.